This is Viterbi Voices, your chance to hear stories about research, classes, student life, and more. Directly from our students, faculty, and other members of our engineering community. All right here at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. Welcome back into Viterbi Voices. Uh, as usual, I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is Paul Ledesma. I'm the Director of Undergraduate Admission at the USC Viterbi School of Engineering. And my name is Audrey Roberts. I'm a senior studying mechanical engineering here at USC. Oh, we got a good episode this week, Audrey. Audrey, tell them who we have on our episode, even though they probably already know because they looked at the name when they clicked on the podcast. It's like, it's like we're going to get a big surprise. We're going to tell everybody what's on there. Yes. So this week is super exciting because we have um, Vice Dean Brandy Jones on the podcast. And so she is the um, Vice Dean for um, Diversity and Strategic Initiatives. Um, And it's a super cool conversation uh, ranging from kind of her background. Um, She's from Southern California originally, um, but spent some time doing graduate work um, on the East Coast and um, some professional work there as well. She came to USC from Princeton. Um, But so we talk about her background um, and then we really dive into a conversation um, about uh, race and engineering and about underrepresented minorities in engineering. Um, And she's done a ton of work for Viterbi, of course, in her role. So um, we talk about some of her accomplishments um, and also uh, some initiatives um, she's sort of driving within the school right now. But I think sort of the themes of the conversation are um, experiences and engagement for underrepresented students, um, which are kind of the way that she she frames frames this. So it's a super super interesting interesting podcast. Absolutely, yeah. Dr. Jones is responsible for leading and directing the equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives for the Viterbi School, and she has done some fantastic work in the time that she's been with us. And uh, it, we're no more thankful to have her with us now than ever before, given what's going on with our current climate. I don't want to ruin anything, so let's just get out of the way and let uh, Dean Jones talk a little bit more about what she does, who she is. And we get into some, some really deep, inf- uh, deep conversations here about systemic racism, and I hope that you'll enjoy it. Why don't you start us off by introducing yourself? You are the Vice Dean for Diversity and Strategic Initiatives. I am. What does that mean? (laughs) So, so, uh, yeah, so I'm Vice Dean for Diversity and Strategic Initiatives and Associate Professor of Engineering Education Practice. So I'll talk about kind of both of those roles. as vice dean for diversity and strategic initiatives my job is just to advance and promote diversity equity and inclusion initiatives across the engineering school so that means faculty staff and student efforts doesn't necessarily mean that those efforts are in my portfolio but i serve almost as a coach and advisor for the academic departments the other deans um, administrative units to really engage the school in how we're thinking about uh, particularly equity mindedness um, and inclusion. Hmm. And as, as a faculty member, um, I help us to think about our curriculum as it relates to training of students around a diversity, equity, and inclusion. I actually teach in the Rossier School of Education, and so I teach a diversity course there. So that's kind of my, my faculty research side of what I do. And my research area is looking at STEM students from underrepresented backgrounds, primarily uh, black engineering students at um, highly selective institutions and how they experience, how they learn, grow and develop in engineering programs. Wow. Now you're teaching this semester? I am not teaching this semester. Um, I taught uh, the past what, three semesters. So it's a perfect semester to, to not teach. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I was going to ask, how's it, how it going? <laughs> I got lucky. Yeah, definitely. And you're teaching at the master's level, I'm assuming? 
Uh, no, at the doctor. At the doctor level. Oh, fantastic. No, that's really cool. And I also have, I think, right now, five PhD students. So four in Rossier, one in occupational therapy. Wow. How does an occupational therapy student get to be, to be with you as, as, as their advisor? So their study or her study uh, is on, it's actually, she's in occupational therapy, but her, she's looking at um, oral care, um, oral health care uh, in black children or black families. And so I provide the cultural context and the race context that is necessary for her to complete her study. Wow, that's fascinating. I was a, uh, an occupational therapy major or pre-OT major for at least a semester and a half in my undergraduate years. I recognized that OT had basically two, two lines of prerequisites, uh, one half biology, one half psychology. And I really quickly realized that I am no good at the biology side, which is why I ended up studying psychology at the end of it. Might as well just keep going with that. So um, when you, uh, tell us a little bit more about you. Where are you from originally? I, don't, I actually don't know this. So I'm from Southern California. Are you really? Where? I am. I'm, I'm uh, born and raised in Cerritos, California. Cerritos. Fantastic. Yeah. Really, really local. Because uh, I always assume East Coast, because you came to us from the East Coast, where you did a lot of your work in the East Coast, right? Yeah. So actually, um, right before USC, I was at Princeton, um, where I was in the, the School of Engineering as uh, Associate Dean for Graduate Affairs. Mm-hmm engineering school. Uh, but prior to that, all of my uh, employment and schooling had been in California. Really? Yeah. Wow. Where'd you go? So I did my undergraduate work at San Jose State University. Um, I did a master's at Long Beach State, and then I got my doctorate at University of Pennsylvania. That's fantastic. You're so later in life, I did my East Coast run. East Coast. But I am, I am a Southern California girl through and through. <laughs> so you were a Spartan, is that right? San Jose State Spartan, yeah. is that right? And then yes. uh, the, the Niners, if I remember correctly, at Cal State Long Beach. That's correct, uh, yeah. There. And then you went to, you said University of Pennsylvania, is that what you said? Yes. So then you're a Lion, right? Did I get all that right? No, 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 no. You're I did thinking- Penn State. I did Penn State. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I just. I Penn- am a Quaker. <laughs> University of Pennsylvania Quaker. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh boy. I am so sorry. I owe you something after that one. I just, I completely just pulled out of thin air. I felt really cocky too. I guess I had my Spartans and my uh, Niners down. Wow. Very cool. You do. You owe me. I that, do. That's. That, that, that's a big mistake. So a lot of our listeners are in this like um, transitioning from high school. They listen in high school. They're learning about college. Do you remember your, your senior year and applying to colleges at all? Do you have any, do you have any good memories, any bad memories of that, of that process? Now we're going back a hundred years. I know. Um, Trust me, this is all, there's also a segment of this conversation where uh, me and, the, and the, the person that we're talking to talk about how old we are, or I, I, I lament about how old we are, and then I apologize to Audrey about we talk about how old we are uh, consistently throughout this podcast. So, so I, I, I will say this. Um, you know, I had the great opportunity of being, I was a MESA student, and, and we, in fact, have one of the um, I think longest standing Mesa programs in the country. Um, and I was a, a Mesa student through uh, UC Irvine. Wow. And so I was, you know, really excited. I did all of the kind of K-12 stuff in science um, and was really looking forward to that. And then I guess when I turned about 12, I did my first oratorical contest. So at that point, I decided I wanted to be a speech writer. Um, And at the same time, I was also studying Japanese. So interestingly enough, at that time, San Jose State was one of the only universities uh, in California. I was interested in staying in California. Um, It was one of the only institutions that had an actual Japanese language program where you can actually get a degree in Japanese language. And so, um, so I made my choice there and that was the end of my, my, my science career. Um, but, but, but I do remember really strong mentoring and really um, a, a real connection with those mentors who are in the Mesa program. Uh, but then a, a love of something else took me away from that. 
Um, so I can, I can remember around that time really trying to decide what I was going to be. And, you know, my guess is had I had more examples of people who look like me um, in, in, in the sciences and in engineering, um, I probably would have made a different decision there. Yeah, yeah definitely. The, the ideas of, of representation, you know, people talk about representation all the time, but it's just as simple as having relationships or, or connecting with someone. Uh, and, and seeing that, I mean, I, I talk about all the time about like, if someone was in my life just talking to me about math, it would have made a world of difference back in the, back in the day. Uh, and, and that just, just wasn't there. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And even though I loved it, so I loved math, I loved science, but I didn't, I couldn't see myself as a scientist or as an engineer because I didn't see any examples. And so I had strong mentorship, uh, but none of the mentors looked like me. And so there was something, I think, now that I think about it, there was something in my mind that said, that's really great, but it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly enough, I then dedicated yeah. my life and most of my career to working with students in, in the STEM fields. It was, was that a conscious decision or was it kind of just something happening as you were going into these kind of higher uh, education administrative roles? Uh-huh. So initially, um, it, it was not. I had done some research um, early on in looking at retention of minorities in STEM. Um, and I think what really made it make sense for me and made it uh, a career for me was about, gosh, now, now I'm really going to sound old. Um, 20 years ago, I worked at Caltech. And that experience, I spent uh, seven years at Caltech, and that experience really kind of shaped my career, and it's where I kind of cut my teeth mm-hmm. um, in, in uh, STEM education. And so from then on, that became my focus. And I actually, I left for about three years, I left uh, kind of the STEM areas uh, to become a dean at Occidental College. Um, and then only about three years and then went right to Princeton where I went right back into the engineering school. And so um, <laughs> I realized that I missed working with uh, students and faculty in this, in the STEM areas. Yeah. I often get asked myself, how, how did I end up in this role? And, and I'm coming up on um, to, to age myself. I'm coming up at uh, on September 5th uh, will be 20 years uh, that I've, that I've been here. and I, it doesn't feel that well, some days it feels that way. Um, it, but it doesn't feel like it, it, it's that long when you think about 20 years. And, and I always say like, I kind of, I kind of found myself into it. It wasn't, a, I stumbled into it basically. Um, but now once you're kind of in this realm, there's something about higher education for the STEM fields. There, there's something about the students in engineering and computer science that I don't think I can find anywhere else. People, I can always say like, I can go do admission anywhere i can do admission anywhere across usc um but i don't think i would care as much if that makes any sense yeah i mean you know for me it's about there's there's so much written particularly about uh, underrepresented students in stem fields there's 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 so much written about um all of the reasons why they aren't succeeding right and and why they're dropping out in some institutions and so for me, that was real, that that wasn't a part of the narrative that that, that I was a part of, right? And so, uh, I was at institutions where students, underrepresented students, were doing incredibly well, despite having horrific experiences. They were really progressing academically and going on to PhD programs. And those who were in PhD programs were going on to faculty positions and so forth. And so, I wanted to uh, be a part of creating a different narrative. And really talking about all of the ways that minority students succeed in STEM areas, um, while also being very real about some of the challenges and helping to address some of those challenges and helping engineering schools and institutions become equity minded in the way they're thinking about STEM education. And so for me, um, that makes it all worth it. Um, I could probably do administrative work in any school or in any area. But I think that there's a real story to be told um, about creating this narrative and, and, and STEM fields, particularly engineering, that is so important and so valuable. 
I totally agree. Can can you help us shed a little more light on this this term that you've used, equity minded, and and maybe a little more information on on some some efforts that are going on right now at USC or in the Viterbi School? Sure. So being equity minded uh, really means how we look at things, how we how we're doing business. In, in short, being equity minded means not looking at the deficit in a particular population, right? And so there's a way of looking at this work from strictly a, a demographic diversity model, right? So there's a way to look at this work where you're just focusing strictly on the numbers, which those things are important. Um, and there's also a way to look at uh, what we call a deficit frame. So essentially saying, well, these students are underrepresented, underserved, in some cases, perhaps even underprepared. So we're going to create programs to support them. In some cases, those are also important. Being equity minded means looking at those two things in addition to how we're providing education and services, right? There, there's a term that says once the elephant gets inside the tent, the tent must reconfigure. Mm. And so, you know, institutions are really quite broad in the way we think about admissions now compared to what we did years ago. And so now you have women, underrepresented minority students, you have first generation students, you have non-traditional age students, you have transfer students, but we still do business the same way. We advise the same way. We offer courses in the same way. Um, We use the same teaching format. Our our teaching practices are the same. And so equity-minded would suggest that we have to begin changing the way we do business completely, from the way we evaluate applicants or candidates, how we teach courses, how we help people promote and engage within the institution. We've got to really shake all that up and dismantle it. Quite frankly, it's not just about adding programs and initiatives. Being equity-minded really means dismantling um, and building a system that is equitable for all. Um, <clears throat> thank you. That's I know it's hard to kind of answer what seems, sounds like a simple question into like uh, <laughs> something that people can digest and understand because people have a lot of different perspectives on this uh, and and coming from different parts of the country, uh, different areas, and there's a lot of um, a lot of like preconceived notions as to how colleges do things um, and how everything works. I mean, when you, you can go back to affirmative action, you can go back to recent lawsuits in the University of Michigan. Uh, everybody has different takes on this. When, when, you, when you think about the work that you do and the, and the work that we do overall at the university to be equity minded, what is something you really want someone to know? about our processes? Um, What's something that you want them to know and understand about how we work through um, this this promoting people to error, or not promoting people, uh, assisting people to, to get the things that they need to be successful? Hey, y'all, sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know that we have a number of campus visit programs available to you right now. If you want to check out what campus is like, if you want to learn more about the Viterbi School of Engineering, go to viterbi.link slash visit. That's V-I-T-E-R-B-I dot link slash visit where you can learn about our Viterbi visit experiences that happen on most Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have some virtual events that happen on occasional weekdays and occasional Saturdays. Plus, we have some transfer virtual admission sessions where you can learn all about how to get those courses ready for transferring. We want to meet you. We will have lots of opportunities to do it and it's happening all summer long but get your registration in now at viterbi.link slash visit hope to see you soon well i i think what i want people to know is that um, where we are now as an engineering school and as an institution but i can speak specifically about what we're doing in viterbi um, we are starting to dismantle some of those policies and procedures that we have in place. And so we're not just looking at the data, but we're taking a really critical examination of how we make decisions. So we, what we do is we, I'm really proud of the way that we are really trying to look at where the barriers exist. So it's not just enough to say we need to do more to recruit, right? Underrepresented populations. It's about 
It, well, it is that, but it's also where do the barriers exist? Do we have uh, policies? Do we have metrics by, by which we're evaluating students that are just creating barriers? For particular populations and so what i what i want people to know most is that we are examining all of those things and we are taking the risk right because there's some risk associated with that in terms of not looking like our peers as it relates to perhaps some of the standards right and i and i mean faculty hiring student uh, admissions um i i think that there's it's it it, it takes some courage for the leadership of the school to say, we really want to get this right. And getting it right could mean dismantling what has been in place for many, many, many years. Right. Now, overall, you know, our, our stats or our information of, of historically minoritized populations, or uh, we, we do much better than national averages related to undergraduate engineering students. Um, but we know that that's not enough. And so what do you think are some things that um, that we need to take action on right away? Like what are, what are the first things that we should probably be looking at for students being successful in engineering and computer science programs or specifically at USC Viterbi? So I, I think the first thing is to take a really clear look at the experiences of students. So two things, experiences and engagement. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think that looking at retention is enough. It's important. But what we know is that at highly selective institutions like USC Viterbi, students likely will finish, they will graduate. I mean, that, that's, that's not uncommon for an institution like USC and, and, and for a school like Viterbi. But I think we, we know less about the way students are engaging. So at you know, USC Viterbi, we have just about everything one could dream of as it relates to what should be in the undergraduate experience. I can't think of one thing that we need and don't have. Um, so it's, I mean, one of the reasons that attracted me to the institution and to the school was that we have just about every program or initiative to help a student thrive um, and to help a student uh, be successful. I think we need to take a close look at how much students from historically underrepresented backgrounds are engaging in all, all of those things. Those things like the high impact programs, so study abroad, research, um, our various scholar programs, the honors program, things that we know are so important, design teams. I'm interested in understanding how much our underrepresented students are engaged in those things that are so important to the success of students. Um, and also, I think we need to know more about the experiences because students can actually successfully complete a degree while having horrific experiences. So I think we need to do more to better understand how students are experiencing classrooms, how they're experiencing some of the co-curricular opportunities, how they're experiencing, um, how they're engaging with their peers. Um, and I think that will point to the areas where we need to address uh, the climate. Um, I think what we found through what I call activism, such as the Black at USC post, or Black at whatever institution, but USC in particular, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised by what I read there, but I think a number of people were actually surprised, pretty taken aback, and I think it's really, began to shift the way some of our faculty and staff are thinking about uh, the climate in Viterbi. Yeah, definitely. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know that you've been working really hard recently on engaging with students and uh, drafting up racial equity plans. I know a lot of stuff is still kind of you know, in flux right now, um, but can you tell us more about some of your efforts and, and the Viterbi School's efforts to discuss systemic racism? I mean, obviously we talked a lot about this with, the, with being equity-minded, um, but is there more that you can tell us about what's been happening in, in recent times, given kind of the current climate? Sure. Um, you know, most, most people on the planet now are, are aware of the murder of George Floyd um, in late May. And what started as kind of protests in the streets have now turned to uh, protest uh, in industry and in the academy. And that 
protest has shown up in the way of demands. It's shown up in the way of students, faculty, and staff sharing their experiences. And um, schools within USC and institution-wide have begun to really think about what actions should be. And so in the Viterbi School, I was really pleased with how quickly uh, Dean Yorizzo spoke to spoke to faculty, staff, and students about this. Well, spoke to faculty and staff, I'll say, and really pushed them to create racial equity plans. So each department, each unit within Viterbi created plans that will be then synthesized and a list of school priorities will come out of those plans. And, and that's important because some places had a pretty top-down approach. Here's the statement, this is what we're gonna do. What Dean Yorzo said is I want you to really sit with this and really think about, you know, with the things that you're responsible for in your particular department or unit, what is the change you'd like to see? And how are you going to make that change? And so essentially he's charged all of us to take responsibility. So what will come of that will be a, a, a list of priorities that will be released very soon. And that list will create, uh, will, will include several areas. Uh, one will be representation, of course. And so um, th there'll be a list of actions associated with increasing numbers, particularly of Black, Latinx, and Indigenous populations and uh, faculty and student uh, groups, as well as looking at inclusion. So how are we making certain that all people in Viterbi feel included and a part of what we do? Um, looking at curriculum. How is it that we address diversity, equity, and inclusion in an engineering curriculum, which is, is more challenging in engineering probably than, than some other schools, but we're taking it very seriously. So how are we encouraging students to think about identity, purpose, and agency through an engineering lens? Um, and also, finally, which I, I think this is probably the most important part of our priorities, looking at systemic racism. So looking at dismantling some of those structural and systemic uh, policies, procedures, and norms that are creating barriers for underrepresented minority populations. And so that, in a nutshell, those are kind of the, the areas that will be addressed. Uh, but I, I can truly say that I've done this work for a long time and I'm really more hopeful than I've ever been because uh, everyone is coming together around these issues. And I've met with so many deans and, and departments and chairs um, and, and, and people, you know, university-wide, wide, even on, at the cabinet level, about what this really means and what racial equity in particular. So this is not just broad diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is really focusing on racial equity in a time where the nation is paying attention. Um, so I'm, re I'm really proud of what we're doing as a school and as an institution. That's great. Yeah, that's really cool to hear about. One question I have from the, the student perspective is kind of in, in the curriculum, you were talking about how challenging it is to build in, um, you know, I think, of course, discussions about racial equity, um, empathy, quite frankly, and some of these sort of core things into an engineering curriculum. And I think for in my experience over the summer, of course, in, in the wake of the, of the murder of George Floyd, I think amongst my engineering friends, we had um, like honest discussions about race much more than we've ever had in the classroom or ever had in the past. And it was really important because as engineers were um, <laughs> building the systems that, you know, our world, world stands on. So I guess my question is just, um, you've been drawn to, to doing this work in engineering specifically and, and on the curriculum side and, and all across the board. How vital is it that we start talking about these things in our statics classes, in these classes that aren't, um, of course, humanities classes? <laughs> it's, it's so important, right? Because every decision that you make includes um, some, some type of bias, Right. And so I think understanding where your own bias comes from. But I think larger than that, it's not just in, in decisions that you make, but it's how you talk about your identity. Right. And so 
what happens is for engineering students in particular, they think their engineering sits in one place and then whoever they are, you know, in terms of gender, gender identity, gender expression, race, ethnicity, religion, sits in another category. And there appears to be this, this idea that those things can't coexist. And so in addition to helping to shape the way decisions are made, we're also trying to help students and faculty, quite frankly, understand that all of these things can exist at the same time as being an engineer. And I think that's important because as people start experiencing the world and talking about who they are, it's important that they're able to uh, reflect and, and express all of who they are. And I would say whatever field you're going in, what we know for certain is that USC Viterbi students are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. Um, probably the leaders of today, actually. Uh, they're already, you, you all are already leaders. Um, but I think the important thing to note is regardless of the fields or the industry that you're going into, um, you will be leaders. And so how you make decisions, how you treat people, I think all of that has to be a part of your learning. Um, and, it's, it, and the conversations must start now. Definitely, definitely. And the, thank you for that answer. And I'm curious on, like, how do you think a community element can feed that? Because I think that's one thing um, at Viterbi that's super special, um, like the different communities we have to support each other and also to have um, these conversations. Now I know like Center for Engineering Diversity, places like these where, you know, we can, people, students can just kind of, kind of go to and I, I think they're really vibrant and, and cool. How can we, you know, maintain those and, and build on it more to, to foster these conversations? So I think and in, in the perfect world and in my kind of what I dream about at night is that uh, the, the conversations that are happening in places like the Center for Engineering Diversity would happen in all the spaces in Viterbi. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that uh, faculty and staff in all of our areas are having active conversations about identity and purpose and race. Um, and and I, I, think, I think we take the synergy from what's happening in places like Women in Engineering and Center for Engineering Diversity, and we push that out across the school. And I, I actually think that the students will actually do this. Right, so the students are actually, they are leading this, these conversations because the allyship at the student level is incredible in Viterbi. And I've just been overwhelmed by the number of student organizations and student leaders um, who aren't from underrepresented minority groups who have reached out to me to say, what can we do? How can we change the membership of our, our groups? How can we change uh, some of our K-12 efforts? How can we change our thinking? Um, are there ways that we're biased and we don't even know? And so I've been incredibly encouraged and hopeful. Uh, so I think the students are gonna lead the way and we, we, we will have no choice <laughs> but to follow. But I think that the students are bringing up these conversations in lab meetings and design teams and courses in ways that they haven't in the past. Um, so I'm really excited about where, where that's gonna go. And, and again, uh, what's most exciting is the students are actually leading that change. Yeah, definitely, that's awesome. How do we track something as nebulous as engagement and experience? Hey everyone, this is Paul. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know about a new feature we just unlocked. It's about sending us questions or comments via text. If you go to your podcast player, check the show notes. There's a link there that says, send us a question or comment. It may be on our next episode. So go in there, send us a little quick text message. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know what your comments are. We'd love to hear from you. So we can't wait to see it. Now back to the episode. Well, engagement, I think we can, the, the first way to easily track it is looking at who's actually involved in some of these high impact programs. Um, so that's, that's one way. I think the other way is we need to talk to students. And I don't mean just the students we know, right? So I'm not talking about just the students who are on our staff. I'm talking about figuring out a way to whether it be focus groups, surveys, having conversations. I think that there's a way to better get at the experience. And so what I mean by engagement is 
how included, how a part of Viterbi do students really feel? I think when we see it on the other end, we see alumni, right? And so when you look at particularly underrepresented minority, when you look at opportunities to come back to Viterbi, we don't always see them there. That was the first thing that was really clear to me. I said, surely we have underrepresented minority alums, but I don't see them at the Viterbi events. I do see them at USC-wide events, perhaps in other areas, uh, perhaps in clubs or organizations outside of the school that they were engaged in, perhaps with the Latino Alumni Association or the, the Black Alumni Association. And so it got me thinking about what is it that perhaps makes them feel as though they aren't necessarily a part of the school in which they, they've earned a degree from. Um, so I think that there's a real way to have conversations um, and, and to really learn more about experiences. That's fascinating. Yeah, this idea of when, they, <clears throat> when a student graduates, how they look back and identify with certain parts of their experience. And is that because of negative experiences? Or is it just because of better experiences or is it a combination of both? Um, right. And, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, whether or not a student sees their experience as being negative, they might see it just as being, it is, right? This is the way the world works. Um, not necessarily that it's negative, but they may see, we, we just don't belong here. We don't see ourselves represented here. And so I've heard students say, um, there aren't faculty who look like me. Um, there's no place where I, uh, you know, in every class, I'm the only, in study groups, I'm the only, um, in, in certain student organizations, I'm the only. And so it's really difficult to find community. Um, you know, I think, when you look at the student development theories and you look at kind of how a student develops through their time in an institution, um, I think you have to build communities that are, um, that, that work for those who are very clear that they want to engage with an underrepresented office or group or, or um, organization right from the beginning. And then you have to create an environment where the support is there, even though students may not think they need it, right? Because entering college, I don't know that I would have been drawn to a CED, right? Or I don't know if I would have been drawn to a Nesby or a SHIP uh, right out of college, but surely by the time I was maybe a sophomore or junior, I would have had experiences that probably would have very quickly led me there. So I think we have to think about all of these things as we are responsible for creating the Viterbi experience. I think we have to think about engagement in a different way that's beyond just our students doing well academically, are they graduating? Because I think what we'll find is that, yes, they are. Yeah. They absolutely are, but that's not, that's not telling us enough of the story. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we've, we've long talked about this idea of, if you take the conversation away from race and representation, um, student success, we often talk to parents, or I talk to parents, uh, and say, a high GPA is not equivalent to success. Uh, it has to do with this idea of engagement. And I've always told them, like, we can come up with uh, an equivalent to GPA for engagement, you know, an EPA. We come up with this engagement point average that students earned over time of their engagement in student organizations, faculty relationships, upper student, upperclassmen mentorships, uh, engagement in, in, in the community and everything else. If those students are the ones we remember. Those are the alums that we remember. Those are the ones that do cool things. Those are the ones that create community, and they and they they they, they are part of it, and they create new versions of that. Uh, and I just don't know how we can we can figure that out. Uh, to to I'm, I, it's 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 an, it's an out, but I, I really think that's that's the idea, right? Is figuring out how to tell them they come into college with so many worries. I got to do well. I got to be successful, but they have this wrong scope or view of the, of the term successful uh, in general. That has nothing to do with race, it's just engineering students usually. And some of it is we create metrics that have everything to do with GPA and you know, yeah. uh, how well someone's doing. I think the other thing is when I think about engagement, certainly engagement with the school, but engagement with engineering. 
And just because you do well in your courses and you graduate with an engineering degree doesn't mean you really see yourself as an engineer. And when we're talking about women, underrepresented minorities, I've talked to countless students at, at a number of different institutions who actually they're, they're holding their degree in an engineering field and they've done incredibly well and they still don't consider themselves an engineer. And in fact, they will pursue either a, a career outside of engineering or they will pursue a career out of some, in a technical industry, right, or company, but do something that's not technical at that company. So there's something there about the, the lack of engagement, I believe, um, as an engineer and doing the things that help them create their competency um, and confidence as an engineer. And I think that we have to be incredibly thoughtful, particularly for those populations where, where students don't see themselves. So I can't tell you how many women I talk to and they say, I've never had a, a, a woman as a professor, or I didn't have a woman as a professor until I was a senior. That's insane. But, but we know it's true. Yeah. And in some departments, we know that's absolutely true. Some underrepresented minority students have never had a professor. Um, who was from their same background. And so even though they're doing incredibly well uh, by nature of how smart they are, there's something about uh, having opportunities to engage as an engineer and being seen as a confident, competent engineer um, during, their, during their undergraduate years and graduate years, I should say as well. That's um, equally as important. And um, I'm always struck uh, the number of students who leave the field, uh, pursue something else. Uh, and I believe that there's more we can do to really keep students engaged. You, you, you mentioned faculty. Um, do you, this is an unfair question. I don't know if you have this like off the top of your head. Do we happen to know our breakdown of, of ethnicity and diversity among faculty members? We do. Um, I can, and I don't want, I don't want to give you wrong numbers, but we absolutely have it. Uh, the numbers are incredibly low. Um, the numbers are far more than, than we would want them to be. And that's one of the, the key areas of our current plan, uh, because we have to address that. We have to change, uh, the demographics of our faculty. No, no question. No question. When you reflect back on the institutions that you've called home, uh, you've got UPenn, uh, Occidental, Caltech, Cal State Long Beach, um, and San Jose State even for, for an undergrad. Um, how, do you, how do you think USC compares to these other types of institutions in, in, in dealing with something like this? Because um, they're all very different with very different populations, different sizes, different, you know, all sorts of different things going on there. Um, what can you say about USC in this, in this, in this, in this world? I will say that you're, you're correct. You're, they're, they're all different institutions um, and they all have different issues as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult to compare yeah. them. Um, what I would say about uh, USC in a decentralized model, um, so I can speak specifically about Viterbi, um, is we are organized in a particular way where everyone's engaged in the conversation. Um, and sometimes that's difficult to do, right? So at the, at the institutional level, it's incredibly difficult to do. Um, I think we are organized in such a way in Viterbi where it is um, it, it, it's not easy, uh, but we can engage everyone around the table in this conversation in a way that could be different, could be dif very difficult at a larger institution or a larger organization. Um, that has less structure in some of these areas. And so by that, I mean, we have some really clear structures, organizational structures within Viterbi that allows us to address this work, right? So having 
um, uh, ha having base and within base having different units responsible for undergraduate, masters, PhD, having people uh, focused on advising, having a center for engineering diversity, having a K-12 population, right? And so when you look at this, what's I think problematic and, and really difficult at the university levels at many different institutions is figuring out where do you start? Who do you engage? How do you even start this conversation? Whereas for Turby, it's been, that's, that's the easy part because we're already organized in a particular way. So now we just have to uh, kind of create some goals, some measurable goals in each of those those units. Yeah, as 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 you brought that up, you started going through all those different uh, areas. As you realized, and we all know each other, <laughs> and so this idea of like when you bring this up, like yeah, there's Cheryl, there's Tracy, there's Darren, there's me, there's Cami, there's Nora. Like we just kind of go through all the different people that we've all worked together, and we know we have our various areas. We've got the things we're going to be working on, and we work collaboratively across that. This isn't a giant place um, where people don't know one another and don't know how to. Um, create uh, solutions. I, I, I would say the other clear um, distinction um, is we have leadership that is engaged, right? And so I, I think when you have a president, provost, and dean who are engaged in, in all of this and interested in moving this forward, you're able to do things that you can't do at institutions where that isn't the case. Um, and, and I think uh, student success being everyone's goal um, makes it easy, right? I, I will say it's quite easy to talk about these various things because at the end of the day, um, you don't necessarily have to be a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert um, to do this work, but what you do have to do is believe in student success. Yeah. And so it's kind of by any means necessary. And so if you believe in student success, you want all of your students to succeed. Um, so that's that's been really encouraging in a way that I, I, I don't know if my other institutions where I call home uh, can say that. I hope they can. I hope they can. I hope they can. I think what's what's what may be slightly different about us is not so much the that desire for everybody to do well, but we've also our enrollment models are built that way. We're built on every student succeeding. We, we, we have to. Uh, otherwise, we don't function. We're not a public institution where you know, well, we're hoping that this many is going to make it through. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work that way. So we've got some, we've got some advantages there as well. Um, uh, Audrey, do you have other, some other questions that you want to ask? Yeah, one, the circling back a little bit, but when we talk about um, like engagement and experiences, particularly for black students and underrepresented minorities, how is this different at the undergraduate and graduate level, because I think a lot of the things we were talking about, like design teams and, and this sort of thing is a little more tied to undergrad, but I know you have a lot of experience in, in your research at the graduate level. So how, how is that different? So I think it, it's, thank you for asking that because it is quite different. And most institutions uh, build most of their support structures around undergraduates. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm so against that, but it's what I've been talking about uh, <laughs> during this entire interview. So, so thank you for posing that question. I think what we do with graduate students is completely different. I think that there are um, graduate student socialization and development models that uh, should be uh, it should, should be a, a, a map, right, for, for what we do. It should be a guide for what we do. Um, I think there's quite a difference between masters and PhD students. And so masters, I think there's some skill building that needs to be done. Uh, PhD students, there's lab culture, there are expectations that are completely different than what you do with an undergraduate. But I think across all populations, undergraduate and graduate students, I think what's necessary is a community building. Um, before you can get to the capacity building skills and all the academic stuff, I think you have to build a community and also build a community of support around those students. So it's not just creating opportunities for them to know each other, but also how are we going to support this population and make certain that they succeed? And how are we going to make ourselves aware of perhaps um, different things that that come up for minority students that don't come up for majority students. Um, I think for graduate students in particular, particularly in thinking about PhD students, 
I think we need to do more to really help PhD students see themselves um, as professionals, if that makes sense, right? So to, to transition from student to professional. So all of that must happen through your PhD process. And unfortunately, uh, students just see themselves as students. Um, but when we look at how successful students are, the ability to make that transition and, and the things that you do and the, and, and the various things that you engage in, research and so forth, there's, there's, there's a difference there between student and professional engineer preparing to move out right, in, into either the academy um, or into industry. Um, I think that we need to do more intentional work there. Um, and knowing that uh, there are things like imposter syndrome and other things that exist that must be addressed with underrepresented populations. And particularly for graduate students, you know, you, you can't just look at the total numbers of underrepresented students. Um, you have to look at the numbers that exist in that particular department and then further in that particular group. Right, because undergraduates, at some point, you all probably see each other in, uh, you know, intro courses. There's the residence halls. I mean, there there are ways for undergraduates to to interact and engage and see one another. Organizations, as a graduate student, you don't really have that, so you could really be the only. <laughs> um, so I think we have to be really intentional. Um, about making certain that graduate students succeed. And I just think we know, we know far less about what it takes for a graduate student to be successful. I think we make assumptions. Uh, yeah, they're grown up, um, yeah, particularly by the PhD level. They, they, they should know these things. And so some of the intentionality around our work with undergraduates, I think we need to do the same kind not 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 the same things but i think we need to have the same intentionality around how we work with graduate students particularly phd students we must sure that's super fast it's like it's like a like a professional right this idea of a their first job but imagine they're going into a phd lab but they don't have any co-workers so imagine you're you're 23 you got your first job and you have to go sit in a room by yourself every day I never thought yeah. that way. That's amazing because we, we always worry so much about our young staff, right? How are young staff connecting? How are they assimilating? How are we understanding their needs? How are they developing professionally? I, that's a fascinating take. I don't know why I've never thought of with PhD students. And it's so different. It's so different. The way courses are taught, the expectations, how you're expected to behave and work, what your, your, your boss right and so your your advisor is your boss essentially how that works what the expectations are what the kind of unwritten rules of the lab and the department are so all of those things you're figuring out on your own and so um, i think in this kind of next phase of what i call you know the new viterbi um, how we're re-envisioning um, our um, approach to equity diversity inclusion I think part of that should be some intentional uh, mentoring, some thinking about, you know, a, a, an equivalent of our Viterbi Summer Institute for graduate students. Um, you know, what, what can we include in the CED offerings for graduate students? Um, what should be included? How, what, what should advising look like, right? And so um, at another institution, um, now when you get old, you can't remember where you did the work, but I believe this was at Princeton. Um, and I created this, this was actually for postdocs. I created a, a, a model such that you had a, your advisor was your advisor, but you had someone else who served as your mentor, right? Because not everyone who's a good advisor is a good mentor. So we created a model where students would have an advisor, but they also would have mentors, um, advocates, champions, right? Which, which could all be different people. Uh, but I, I, Audrey, thank you so much for that question because we have to be intentional about our work with graduate students because we see the same. Uh, I, I, because I study PhD students in particular, I have the opportunity to meet and interview PhD students from a host of, of organizations or a host of institutions. And you'd be amazed at the number of students who, uh, from underrepresented backgrounds, who get PhDs. 
um, and they leave engineering. That's insane, right? And, and PhDs from pretty nice places. And so where I, when I, where I started seeing some of this was during my time at Caltech. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. You just earned a PhD from the California Institute of Technology. And some of the confidence necessary to, to go on and be faculty and other things, students are just like, I don't think I have it. And I'm like, you're smarter than the nation. Are you serious? Right. Uh, but but, there, but we, we've got to do some work there. Um, to help that because they're, they're clearly smart enough. They have everything that they, they need to succeed academically, but there's another piece of the work that we have to pay attention to. Right. That makes sense. And it links back, of course, to the, to the issue of, uh, you know, having very few faculty um, who are from underrepresented communities. Yeah. This systemic racism, systemic toxicity. I mean, this idea of just generational things that happen inside of different types of uh, disciplines um that yeah that that creates a whole problem of, of faculty uh, being diverse being different being unique um and, and it's basically you know be like us and, and that's that's not the way to to do it and it's truly systemic right and so i i, I try to help people understand is we're all a part of these these systems and organizations that have systemic racism and sexism embedded in them. Yeah. We've all been raised in these organizations. And so it doesn't mean that this person or that person is racist or sexist, but we have to acknowledge that we're a part of an organization that is built on that, right? It's, it's, it's not necessarily built for all to succeed. We may, we may intend for that to happen, but we're working within a system that isn't built for everyone's success, right? And so that's where we have to start the work. We have to be willing to acknowledge that before we can start dismantling some of what we do. Um, and that's, that's probably the hardest part. The, the easiest part, you know, we can add programs and initiatives. We're really good at doing that, particularly a place who's fairly well-resourced. We can create an office. We can, re we can create fellowships, scholarships, programs. We can add staff. We can do all of these things. Those things aren't terribly hard, yeah. right? The, the hardest thing is to look at how we're doing business and identify where we've got some serious systemic issues. Some of that we can do within the school, but some of that has to be at the university level. Yeah, and on top of that, that this is all within a discipline that is traditionally built on this sink or swim mentality, um, which you know we've already been fighting for quite some time at USC, but across the country, this is a uh, you know make your way to the top of the curve type situation. Do what you're told, match the norms. You know, so I mean we've got layers of issues inside of an engineering discipline that some maybe some other disciplines don't have um but it's it's glad to hear i mean this is a i love this conversation this is a fascinating conversation and I'm, I'm so thankful that you're here sharing your insights and letting us know a little bit more about what you've been doing and i want to be mindful of the time too because i don't want to we don't want to keep you too long um but thank you i, I could i could just keep going and asking questions <laughs> well it's 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 it is it's actually it's fascinating it's i i mean i love conversations like this where we can really begin to unpack it but it just gets hard because once you start unpacking one thing, you got to unpack something else. But I, I will say that I think we are at the point in, in, in history, the point as a nation where we are really saying we are ready yeah. and we are focused and it's not, you know, the, the, the typical people who are usually engaged in this conversation. I think everyone is paying attention in a particular way and really um, looking at how they can learn. And I think, you know, tying it to George Floyd and, and so many others who, who have lost their lives, I think it's really looking at all the ways where um, people can't breathe within the academy. 
right? And so even looking at staff and the way that we, um, we silence particular voices, we engage certain voices in the conversation. I think when we look at everything that we do, if we think about all the ways in which someone can't breathe and be as successful and reach their full potential, we're failing. And so that takes a lot of work and it's hard work. And different than anything else that we do, it starts with the personal, which is very hard. Anything else we could address and say, oh, let's create an, an initiative. This isn't hard to do. But when it has to start with personal and I have to start asking myself, what barriers, um, how am I contributing to some of the systemic racism, sexism? What barriers am I creating and how I do business? Um, it's really challenging, but I think that's, that's where the work must start for us to really move the needle. I don't think there's going to be a better bow to put in the end of this conversation. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, is there anything else you want to share? I, I, I thought that was such a perfect, like, I wanted to give you one more chance to be like, okay, is there anything else, but that was so great. That was it. That was it. That was <laughs> no. awesome. and, th and thank you because um, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, share a little bit about what I do and our current initiatives in the school and where I think we should go. So I, I just thank the two of you for, you could have talked to anyone today. So I thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you. And, and, and definitely let us know when you want to come back, when you got more news to share. We'll have you on whenever, whenever you want. I will have some news very soon. Oh, cool. And my guess is, by the end of the semester, we will have some Viterbi news to share about uh, how we've advanced in some areas, but also I can share more about uh, the university efforts. I'm a part of a university-wide task force that has a deadline of December. So um, I think I will have lots of things to come back and share by the end of the, the calendar year. That's fantastic. Thank you again, Vice Dean Brandy Jones uh, of, of Diversity and Strategic Initiatives, Initiatives. Excuse me. Thank you so much, Dean Jones. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And we're back. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this one. Super important conversation that I think we can all learn a lot from. Yeah, you know, the country as a whole, the world as a whole, is struggling with. Uh, doing its best to first address, second to deal with, and hopefully finally dismantle uh, systemic racism, uh, you know, in, in every institution. And universities are by no means immune. Uh, and as we discussed, engineering schools, uh, in, in some ways, maybe I'm biased, have a larger challenge. Um, uh, we, I talked about it more briefly there, just this idea of systemic racism, systemic toxicity, this idea of sink or swim mentality built into generations of engineers and that's how you become the best engineer um, there's a lot of work to be done um, and it, it but my favorite part about this whole conversation was everyone's in it everyone's ready to contribute everyone's willing to have hard conversations everyone's willing to roll up their sleeves and dive in and um, the other favorite part was that when she said um, uh, or maybe she told us separately, but th this idea of being able to be, um, to, to, to say these things out loud in regular meetings, yeah. anti-black racism, to talk about these things in regular meetings, uh, something that she maybe never has done in the past, but would always be working toward those goals regardless. Yeah, yeah, I think this is just a really good lesson, especially right now. Of course, it's relevant and it always um, is, um, but I think, I think there's just a lot to be learned from a student perspective too. We talked about how um, it's challenging to sort of build these ideas into an engineering curriculum, of course, into, into our courses. Um, but Dean Jones talked about how a lot of these conversations can be student driven. So I think as students, there's a lot we can do to um, like start, start talking about racism within the context of engineering. Um, and I, I, I think that is something we're doing, but it's something uh, we can do more of. Um. What was something that you were kind of not necessarily like, what was something that was new to you that you hadn't heard before in, in this, in this type of conversation? I know we've had a few conversations about this over the summer. Uh, what was something that you found interesting in, in, in her process today? Yeah, I think maybe not necessarily new to me, but one thing we talked a lot about was like 
dismantling these um, like systemic racist and sexist systems that just I think you know institutions like USC and like Viterbi you know in in intentionally or not kind of are are built on just by the nature of of academia of college admissions whatever so I think that is really exciting to hear that that's the work that's being done right now um, that Dean Jones and um, the Viterbi leadership team is engaging in I think that's you know, not a word we hear a lot associated with, you know, educational institutions, like how can we dismantle these things? I think that's something, you know, we hear a lot in our classes when we're talking about other things, but I, I haven't necessarily heard that word in, in this context before. So I think that's exciting. It sounds like um, Dean Jones is excited about that. And I, um, this episode gives a little insight into kind of the ways in which they're doing that um, and the timeline too, that we can expect for it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think my favorite things is that, you know, Dean Jones is just very cool. She's a cool yeah, person. Cool. Very yeah. cool person. Well, there's a lot of work to do. I'm glad we're, we're addressing it. I'm glad we're working on it. And I hope that everyone out there listening pulls something from this conversation, whether it's knowing that, you know, you knowing that, uh, you, you're a part of a population that is being heard and recognized or whether you're someone that didn't think these things existed. And hopefully we shed some light on that for you. Um, uh, this is a conversation that is nowhere near being done and the actions that need to be taken are only just beginning in a lot, in a lot of different corners of institutions and, and parts of USC and the engineering school. Uh, it's a long road ahead, but I, I think that we are well prepped and uh, ready to, to, to take this on um, as strongly as we can. So I'm, I'm genuinely appreciative of Dean Jones coming on and uh, thank you for adding your commentary and your questions, Audrey, that was great. Yeah, yeah, big thank you to Dean Jones for this one. Thanks everyone. All right, well, I hope everybody has a great week. Stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.